Greetings and happy resurrection. As some would say, happy Easter, but happy resurrection. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to welcome you with us today. And I want to uh, have you and encourage you to go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the great encouragement it brings but very importantly, how it brings encouragement and therefore how we can most be encouraged by the resurrection and how we can most encourage one another with it. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 24, we're going to begin at verse 13, and we're going to take these a piece at a time together as we uh, explore this very great passage of scripture. One of my favorite, you've probably seen sermons on this before uh, from different angles and in different ways, and, and definitely today we will be learning more from it, and we'll be taking a great look at it. So turn to Matthew or Luke chapter 24, and we'll begin at verse 13 together. Here's what it says. On that very day, two of them were going to a village. Now that very day being the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So some have already witnessed this, but these two disciples, even having heard some of what was going on, left town uh, to go who knows where. We'll talk about that momentarily. But that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And, they, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they told him, still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not, but him they did not see. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this text. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to get the most we can out of it by the power of your Spirit, by the working of your Word. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with us, that you'll guide us, that you'll bring us into all truth as you have promised. And may we indeed celebrate this resurrection together like we never have before. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a great encouragement in this text is that Jesus cares enough about these two who are walking away to intervene. And we're going to see some real plain application here. Even though their situation is unique, their encounter with Jesus is unique, there are certain principles that do not change. We, like these two men, are disciples. And 
And Jesus is always and always will be Jesus. His care for his disciples, his care for his people is unending and his love for them tremendous. And so we can understand, although our context is different and Jesus' method will be different from people to people, the principles remain the same, that he takes care of his own. And this is a great encouragement right off the bat, just from a a cursory reading of part of this passage. But the text makes it very clear in verse 17 there that they are sad. They stood still looking sad when he had asked them. So this is a a moment of sadness, a time of, of great difficulty for them as Jesus draws alongside them, which is why, of course, he's very much needed. And what happens is that he comes alongside to encourage. Uh, But first, these questions. And I want to talk first here about this problem of doubt, because they are in a situation of great doubt. And indeed, they they are sad because of the crucifixion. But if you notice from the text, they've heard already rumors of resurrection. The women reported that they had found the tomb empty and that they encountered angels who said that he was risen. Well, you know, any good student of the Old Testament realizes that the angels are usually really good uh, witnesses and effective witnesses to the work of God. And so that's something that needs to be taken very seriously. Nevertheless, here they are, and they're sad, and it is understandable. The context is this. They have suffered, as it were, a crushing loss, a tremendous trauma. Uh, For who knows how long these men were following the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing his miracles, experiencing his love, his teaching of great hope. But then all of a sudden, Jesus is arrested. He is tried, he is condemned and crucified, all within a span of about 24 hours. It was all coming, crashing down in a single day. And they've had a few days for these things to sink in and their sadness to uh, become profound and they leave the city. But there's a problem here that's evident by the fact that Jesus intervenes. This leaving the city is somehow a problem. Jesus intervenes and the result is they head back. They should not be leaving is the implication here. And they heard from the people of God, that is from the women that were with them in Jerusalem, that Jesus was risen. And even though they didn't experience it themselves, they heard it from the people of God. And yet they were walking away. And I think that is the real issue here. That is the real problem. And let's face it, They've got things to do. Life goes on. They're, this one that they thought that was Messiah uh, has been crucified. He is dead. And their experiences with death in their lives was a great finality to it. In other words, this era of their life apparently was over. And so they're walking away. Were they going back to what they did before? Were they going back to family Uh, What were they doing? We don't really know, but they're walking away. And this happens when people have some kind of a trauma, some kind of a great difficulty, some kind of a tremendous setback like this. 
uh, they walk away. They tend to walk away because we seek then our comfort zone. We seek to be comforted. And so often we go back to that last place where we most felt comfortable. And they might be going back to what they did before knowing Jesus Christ. So here we have two members of the flock that go walking away. What will Jesus do? They have explained their situation. Jesus come alongside. Now let's return to the text and find out exactly what Jesus does. And what we're going to see is he's going to give them the word of God. Let's go back to the text starting in verse 25. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When, lost my place there, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Well, this is profound. Jesus, at at the end of these things, reveals himself. But the first thing he did was he gave them an Old Testament commentary. And look at verse 27 here. It says, Moses and all the prophets. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets. What does that mean? That means the entire Old Testament. Moses was the first five books, and then the prophets were the rest. Yeah, even the books of history, and and the books that we call prophets, and the wisdom literature. All that was the prophets. So when they said Moses and the prophets, or they said the law and the prophets, they're talking about the whole Old Testament. So he goes through the entire Old Testament, explaining the things concerning Jesus. Now, if you're a member here at White Throne Baptist Church, you may have been attending the evening uh, services on Sundays in which we were going through a brief series on some of the typologies of Christ in the Old Testament. That is, in the lives of people and in some of the events that happened that Jesus Christ had foreshadowed all through the Old Testament. And these things are very, very obvious when looking back at them and finding the parallels. But there's even more than that. There's there's prophecies concerning him, things which actually say, hey, Moses says there's going to be a prophet like me come along. And others say, well, this one will come who will do these things. Or there'll be this great and terrible day of the Lord that will come. And all these things that spoke of Jesus Christ. The laws themselves, the cities of refuge, the sacrificial system, uh, the feasts that they were given, all these things have significance with respect to Jesus Christ. And then there's broad motifs in the scripture. When we meet priests, when we meet kings, when we meet prophets in the Old Testament, we are meeting those who have some attributes that point to this one, Jesus Christ, who's the ultimate king and priest and prophet. There's also covenants given throughout the 
the Old Testament, and these covenants require fulfillment, and they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so there's many things and many promises requiring completion and many prophecies requiring fulfillment all through the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All these things are about him. Even the idea that he must suffer and die. You know, notice he begins with that question, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And so he's going to be hitting those those verses, those prophecies, those things in the Old Testament that show this to be very clear. And we know the passages of the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah and other places that would be common to go. Some of the Psalms, we'll look at one later, that would speak clearly that this Messiah figure, this one to come, this ultimate deliverer is going to suffer and die. Now, it wasn't so explicitly stated, but it is there and it can be found and it was expected by some when Jesus came. But there's also other things in the Old Testament that he would have covered concerning that thing. The fact that in the cities of refuge, the high priest would have to die before the prisoners of the city of refuge could go free. Or the when they used to do the sacrifice for the nation and atonement for the nation on Day of Atonement. They would lay their hands upon one goat called Azazel, and they would send that out of the city to Azazel. Uh, and so they would lay the sins, and of course this is all symbolic, lay the sins of Israel upon this goat, who then would be sent outside the city. And the book of Hebrews makes the point, look, Jesus was sacrificed. That is, Jesus was crucified outside the city, bearing the sins, you know, that he was this scapegoat. And the idea of this suffering servant and rectifying the covenant with Abraham, did you ever consider that when Abraham... Uh, when God made a covenant with Abraham, Abraham was put into a sleep and only the Lord passed through the parts of the, the uh, animals that had been sacrificed to ratify the covenant. In other words, if that covenant was, were ever broken, it would be upon the Lord to give sacrifice concerning that covenant. Well, that covenant was broken. Now, it was broken by Israel, but nevertheless, who pays for this broken covenant with their blood as symbolized by the covenant ceremony? It's Jesus Christ. And so all these things would be would be touched on by Christ as he walks with them along the road. And of all places in scripture, this would be one of the most fascinating to be able to go back and walk along with these men and hear how Jesus saw in the Old Testament himself and the places that he saw it. And it would be a day of great learning. But there's a lesson here. Do you not understand all these things? You know, I've just blurted them out. We didn't talk about them in depth. All these things in the Old Testament. You might be asking yourself, where in the Old Testament? What is it about the Old Testament that shows Jesus? The encouragement I have for you is stick around. Stick around and, and we will bring forward the Old Testament and we will show it to you and you will see the things in there so that you may be so surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses of the faithful of old that you will be encouraged to finish your course. Our Christian life is primarily a ministry of the Word of God. Think about the Word of God throughout history. 
at the very beginning, God spoke things into existence and then he pronounced it very good. And then man is given a job of naming the animals because words are important. This is how Satan deceived. He deceived concerning the word of God. He deceived with words. And so mankind fell into sin, a sin of the word. And then God spoke to the serpent and announced the coming victory in Jesus Christ. When he said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God spoke covenants with Adam, with Noah, with Abram, and gave promises to Abram and made covenants with Israel through Moses. He gave them a written law, the terms of their covenant that they would live out while in the promised land. Then John, then many prophets come speaking and proclaiming. Jesus proclaims. And after the ascension, the church goes out and proclaims. These are all ministries of the word of God. So how is then the word of God a remedy for these two? See, they're, they're walking away after hearing testimony of a risen Christ. They had ignored the testimony. The women told them they, that the angels had said that there's a risen Lord. How can you walk away from that? This is a failure to heed or to listen to the word of God. So what do you do? When there's a failure in this area, when the word of God fails, what else do you go to? And this is one of those rare instances in our lives in which it's more of the same. More word has to come. These men heard the word of God, proclaimed that Jesus had risen. They walked away from the city. And how does Jesus come alongside them and help them with more word? More is not always better, but when it concerns the word of God, more is always better better. Most things in life require some kind of balance. Not so with the word of God. You cannot have too much of it. God gave Israel all kinds of laws and promises. When they failed to keep their promises and, and their laws, he sent them prophets to encourage them. When they failed to heed the prophets, he sent the word of God himself, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples to do what? So that they could testify to the word, that the spirit would guide them into all truth. Ours is a, a work of the word of God. The solution to any failure concerning the word of God is more word of God. Now, it's not that words are magical or that words operate, operate outside the natural order, I want to suggest to you that words and the power of words, and specifically the power of the word of God, is quite natural because God has built this into his creation. The word of God and its effectiveness are built into creation and the fabric of our reality, like gravity, like the laws of physics, like chemical properties. This is an, an indissoluble part of our reality. And this proclamation of the word of God by the people of God is God's chosen instrument for salvation and for sanctification, for all that we need to grow. It says the word of God is sufficient to make us complete. Therefore, 
It's what the it's the word of God that brings us to faith. It's the word of God that keeps us in the faith. The word is so primary here, but I want to emphasize, as we will see in this account, the word of God is not solitary. It is primary, but it is not solitary. It comes with personal encounters with God. In the Old Testament, you'll notice that messages from God sometimes came personally delivered by God himself or by an angel or something, or they would be accompanied by some kind of phenomenon to really drive the point home. And even Jesus himself during his ministry, he would give great teaching and then he would also mix in miracles. And these things testified to the truth that indeed this was the word of God. And here what Jesus does is Jesus himself brings forth the word, teaches them on the road, their hearts burn within them as they hear it, but then he reveals himself at the end of it. And that is what we see is that many times there is not only the word of God brought to help the people of God, but then it is accompanied with a personal encounter with God. And this is something profoundly important. The word is the ultimate revelation of God, but personal encounters are part of our Christian lives and part of what we do. If we look in verses 30 and 31, we see the fact that when we, when he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, okay, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And so Jesus reveals that it was him walking along with them. Now, I'm not suggesting when you're feeling bad, when you're walking away from the church, when you're walking away from God, that he's going to pay a personal visit to you. What I am testifying is this, that in addition to the word, God personally deals with us through word, but also through spirit. Jesus chases down these two sheep and turns them back by giving them the word and a personal encounter. And he, his encounter had to be personal. And here's why this is different. And here's why we should not expect Jesus to show up personally and help us back is that he had not yet ascended to the Father. And he had told his disciples that until he ascended to the Father, he could not send the Holy Spirit. He is going to do this by his Holy Spirit these days. So we shouldn't expect a visit from the risen Christ, but as believers, we should expect personal encounters with God via his Holy Spirit. So in addition to the word, he's going to give an inward testimony of his Holy Spirit. This is the promise that Jesus gave the disciples. He spent a good deal of chapters in the book of John the last night before he was arrested explaining these things. So I'll defer you to John chapters 14 through 17 on the issue. So an undeniable truth of our faith is this. We are drawn to the Son by the Father. He does that, we know, by His Spirit. And additionally, we are converted by His Spirit. That is, we are transformed from death to life by the Spirit of God. And as we grow as Christians, we are conformed to the image of Christ by the power of His Spirit. These all involve this personal contact via the Holy Spirit of God. So a, a necessary part of our faith, an essential part of our faith, is experiential. 
Now, these experiences with God, these personal encounters, should not be the basis of our faith, but they are an evidence and encouragement of it. So there's an element of our Christian faith that is both personal and subjective, but it is never divorced from the Word of God. This particular element of our faith, this subjective and personal element of these personal encounters with God via the Holy Spirit, are profoundly important. These two on the road to Emmaus, they have this personal encounter with the risen Christ himself. But as we said, their circumstances were different. This is always done with the conjunction of the Word of God. Many try to live on experience alone. They try to live from one personal experience with God to another. They they get to some kind of special service or something at church. They have some kind of an emotional experience that they really they feel what they believe to be the Holy Spirit of God, and they wander through their Christian life from one of those to another, riding a roller coaster up and down on these high personal moments. What will even that out for that believer? What that believer is doing wrong is they're neglecting the ministry of the word. It is a ministry of the word that provides a foundation to us. There's a balance to be sought concerning the word of God and our personal encounters with God. And it's very simply this, and it can be described in this way, the word of God without a personal encounter with God becomes a mere academic exercise. This is like having a house that is not really a home. And if we emphasize only the personal encounter with God, and it's not sufficiently supported by his word, what we do is we build a fragile faith. This is like having a home without a foundation. These men had many personal encounters with Jesus. We don't know how many miracles they had seen, how many teachings or encouragements they had experienced with the Lord Jesus. They could have been with him for weeks or for years. We just don't know. There's something we do know that they probably did experience that was just a little more than a week earlier. Lazarus was raised from the dead. This is what made such a big deal about Palm Sunday, why there were so many people there interested in Jesus, was they had heard this testimony. And so these men had had that great high point, that great personal encounter with the power of God to, to witness a man being raised from the dead by the power of this Jesus. But what happened afterwards were the most traumatic days in their entire lives were the crucifixion of their Lord. So they were hurt and they needed something, something more than just another experience with Christ. They needed the word of God plus an experience with Christ. They needed the word of God that told them this was the plan of God. It is going according to plan. This is how it was that it, the Christ must suffer and die. This was all part of it. And then this personal encounter, in addition to this word that they received, to, to show them the familiar face, the one that they could trust, the one that they knew, the one that they knew was faithful and true. So what did they do next? Well, Interestingly, this turns them back to Jerusalem, where they yet had even more encouragement. Let's take a look at those verses, 
starting verse 33, here's what happened. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Well, first of all, I want to point out that it was already late in the day. That's why they uh, encouraged Jesus to stay with them because they understood, hey, it's late. We can't let this guy go on any further. He's not going to get any further. He's not going to get to the next village. He needs to stay with us because he doesn't want to be on the road overnight. And so they they implore him to stay, and he does. But despite that it was so late, they head the seven miles now back to Jerusalem. They are so encouraged by this. So that is no small thing that they leave, and they had to have been traveling at night at this point. And so they, they rose, they went back to Jerusalem, they found the eleven, and they are saying, so they're refreshed with this word of God, this personal encounter with God, they head to Jerusalem, they hit the door, and what do they get? They get more encounter with God via his people, more testimony of the risen Christ. It's like, well, this time it's not just angels that we saw, we saw the Lord himself risen. And not only did they receive this additional encouragement from their fellow believers, their fellow disciples, but they were able to add to it now their testimony of their great experience on the road. And so they're now doing the ministry of the word. They've been ministered to by the word of God, and now they are ministering the word of God to their brethren. They recount what has happened. This is fellowship. And this is why I believe Jesus revealed himself to them when he broke the bread. He was reminding them of fellowship. Where had they broken bread before? They were, he was, they were doing it with the disciples and they had broken bread with the disciples. Now they weren't, these two uh, do not appear to be any of the original 11. Well, we know they're not the 11 because they came back, found the 11. And we know that one of them is named Cleopas. And I feel sorry for the other guy because he's just the other guy in the story. But nevertheless, they may not have been with Jesus at the Passover meal, but they were with somebody at the Passover meal. And if they were disciples of Jesus, they were likely with other disciples of Jesus and had broken bread a few nights before at the Passover meal. Boy, this is incredible because they are reminded of this fellowship. They go back and enjoy this fellowship. They become a part of it. And this is true. When, when we encounter the word of God, when we have this personal encounter with his spirit, this drives us back to the fellowship of believers. And this is God's design for his people to gather together. It works like feedback does. If you know what feedback is in the world world of sound and, and audio, you know that when something that receives a sound and is plugged into an amplifier that emits the sound, when that amplified sound is received again by the microphone or whatever it is, and then that sound is amplified again, and then it creates what's called a feedback loop. In other words, it hears itself and amplifies it and then it hears itself again and amplifies, and then it happens quickly, instantaneously, and with certain sound systems will give you an ear-splitting sound. 
That's called feedback. That's what it's like to be with the people of God because here they are and here come the, the, the believers from the Emmaus Road and these believers over here say, hey, the Lord has risen and, and he's appeared to Peter and the others and, and these guys say, yes, he has risen and he appeared to us too. And so this becomes this great and magnificent cross-testimony of the people of God. And this is what we have when we gather on Sunday mornings, when we worship together, is we sing the hymns and we sing them, not in vain, but we sing them to God and we sing them to one another. We give one another that encouragement and merely just by showing up, we're saying we believe there's something to this Jesus thing. We've had an encounter with the word and we've had a personal encounter with God. And I want to encourage you that he's real and that he's here and that he's risen. And so we do that mutually when we gather together. That's why it's so important we gather together, if at all possible, that we get with other believers and have our faith reinforced. This was the plan of God. This was the plan of Jesus, and this was the plan he was executing upon the cross. Some of you are familiar with Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins like this. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you say, those words sound familiar to me. And they sound familiar to you because Jesus spoke them from the cross. It's accounted in both Matthew and in Mark. And he says these things, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? referring to Psalm 22. He wants us to look at Psalm 22. And when we look at Psalm 22, we are encouraged because in Psalm 22, we find details similar to his situation upon the cross. Look what he says. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads and they taunt. And this is what they said at the cross. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. These are some of the taunts that were being said at the cross of Jesus. But this is in Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross. It was written before there was crucifixion. And if we go further into the psalm, here's what we find. Verses 14 and 15, all my bones are out of joint. That's what happens when you hang upon a cross. My heart is like wax, and this is the congestive heart failure that happens. While upon a cross, it was melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my mouth. And Jesus said, I thirst. You lay me in the dust of death, and indeed he was laid in a tomb. And look at verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, as happened at the cross. And verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. So the psalm, like many of the psalms, turns from this outcry of anguish, from this description of the difficulty that one is in, to imploring the Lord to help, to save to be a salvation. And we know that the Lord answered this by raising Jesus from the dead. But here's where I want your attention. In verse 22, so we are in Psalm 22, verse 22. And here's what it says there. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. See, it was predicted right there in Psalm 22, which is so profoundly and so obviously about the crucifixion, that afterwards, 
it would be proclaimed in the midst of the congregation, in other words, in the fellowship of those who believe in the people of God, this would be declared. And this is what we see happening on the road to Emmaus, that it's declared to them that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and die, and Jesus reveals himself so they see the risen Lord. They go back, and the people declare to them in the midst of the congregation, the Lord is risen, and they declared, yeah, we know he's risen. Listen to what happened to us. And, and this beautiful encounter happens as planned. And this is God's plan for you too. He plans for this to happen. I can't tell you how often I wish many of you who are watching online and, and, and afar off, and there's people from other countries watching this and, and from all over the United States, I wish you were here, gathered to hear this, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ being proclaimed here together, and it's going on to this day. All around the world, people are gathering. If you're not gathering with somebody, you must gather with somebody to understand and to experience what this is. This is where the real help and the real healing are. Find a congregation today and be strengthened by the word of God and the mutual encouragement of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And here is what you'll find. You'll find the word of God. You'll find a personal encounter with God to strengthen you and turn you back to Jerusalem. I need to point this out, that this congregational gathering of these two that were on Emmaus and coming back, this was not a last resort, and this was not happenstance. This is what it should have been from the first. The women had testified to the angels saying that, the, that Christ is risen. These two men honestly never should have walked away. But Jesus in his grace and kindness turned them back. And our encouragement this day is this. We should not walk away. Not only do we need the testimony of the church, the church needs our testimony. It's when we doubt the most that we must cling to fellowship, that we need to hear the voices of others and they need to hear ours. Look at the body of Christ, not according to what you can get out of it, but what you can put into it. And let us together, and here at White's Run, build a community of the knowledge of God sufficient to keep us all in Jerusalem, to bring us back when we walk away. Such a knowledge and a witness that we'll never want to walk away again. Well, here are my encouragements this day, and I bring them in the form of questions. And I've got two of them for you. Question number one here is this. Are you leaving Jerusalem? Has church not turned out to be what you thought it should be? Are you discouraged with it? Are you not growing? Is maybe your church not growing? Are you not experiencing enough of the word or enough of Jesus Christ? Did you not find what you wanted? And now you find yourself maybe falling short in attending, falling short in studying the word of God, falling short in prayers, and eventually falling short in your presence among the people of God at all. Whatever it is, I want you to read this text again in Luke 24, and I want you to understand that you are walking away from Jerusalem. 
and you need this refreshment of the word of God. And then you need to get back to the people of God and find more refreshment by their testimonies. The solution was the scriptures. But when he revealed himself, that became very clear. Because then they realized, didn't our hearts burn within us when he spoke these things? And then my second question to you is this. Are you helping people to stay in Jerusalem? In other words, are you helping others to stay? Are you helping build a community that cares, that brings forth the word of God, that establishes the right conditions for those personal encounters with God to keep people close, to keep us from wandering away? I hope so. And let's be intentional about it. Let's make sure that we connect with everyone we can and that we encourage them and that we get involved as much as we can in the ministry of the Word of God so that we can help others to stay in Jerusalem. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, we praise your name and we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for bringing us together for this great encouragement. Now I pray that you'll use this message for your glory, that you'll strengthen your people, that you'll draw them to yourself and you will lift them up with your word and a personal encounter with them. And Lord, I pray that you make yourself known more and more as we go forth from this place. Lord, I pray for each and every believer here listening, that they would find a church family that will help them to stay close with God, that will help them to grow in the word of God and help them to see Christ on every page. And Lord, I pray for our congregation, Lord, that we will build a place, a community where there is the word of God sufficiently balanced with personal encounters with God, the love of his people. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And if you found this helpful at all, or you didn't find it helpful, I pray that you would contact us, that we may discuss it, and we may go further with the Word of God. If you have questions particularly about the Word of God, or you need help finding a place to worship, please contact us. You can find us at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. I'll answer those personally, and I will help you in your faith walk in any way that I can. You can also find out more about us at whitesrun.org. God bless you and have a blessed Resurrection Sunday.